Hey, this week's episode is the first, like, hour or so of a podcast that went, again, uh, quite a bit long. I guess these days we've been uh, going long. Uh, Jess and I were sort of talking about, uh, you know, the or, or critiquing the meaning of white-collar work or the experience of white-collar work in uh, in the in the modern economy. I guess a theme that we've really been trying to push a lot more um, lately. But we spent the first hour or so talking about uh, Wall Street bets, which I'm sure you are probably familiar with at this point, and the the run up in uh, GameStop, the stock. And since I've uh, spent most of my career working in the markets, uh, you know, we talked a bit about how you know what was going on. And just sort of like the breakdown of, of, of why this is happening. Thought it might be interesting. So releasing that part, um, just as a sort of like its own pod. And there will be a second part. Just not sure when we're going to release that, whether it's going to be the next one or maybe like, you know, one or two episodes down from that. But anyway, here's the first part of that. Escape from plan A. Okay, welcome to uh, Escape from Plan A. This is Teen and Jess, and it's uh, you know it's another it's another late evening, or I guess early evening for you in California, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, Couple things. Couple things I want to talk about today. <clears throat> I guess one is you. You had asked about this insane run up in GME, or that which is the ticker symbol for GameStop. You know the the company. Yeah, GameStop. that was crazy. Um, yeah, yeah. It it came at such an inopportune time. Um, I mean, twenty twenty was kind of a distracted, you know, mess for me. Um, so I really decided, okay, go heads down, like get some stuff done. Really, you know, get twenty twenty one off to as good a start as I can. Uh-huh. Um, it's not looking great, uh, but just do what I can. So I decided to just cut out social media. So, um, not looking at the news, not, not doing any, not doing, um, doom scrolling as the, as the kids call it. Yeah. Um, and then like I pop back in and it's like, it's everyone, everyone across all platforms everywhere is talking about GME. Yeah. The crazy run up some Robin hood, some crazy Robin hood story, uh, featuring mm-hmm. Reddit, my, you know, wall street, that's, bets, yeah. you know, the, wall street bets yeah. yeah um so uh so yeah i i'd appreciate a little background for just for myself even. you mean what's going on with it yeah just what's going on um, uh it's this uh it's this hedge fund called melvin capital <laughs> and everyone hates oh, it's just, melvin. It's one it's one firm yeah, yeah. and oh, okay. uh, melvin capital is kind of infamous because it's um it's a hedge fund uh it's a new york city hedge fund that was founded by this guy who uh Gabriel Plotkin who is infamous for having like been one of the most outspoken short sellers. Short sellers is someone who bets against the company, right? So they, you know like the movie The Big Short, you know there mm-hmm. there are um a lot of big fortunes made in making uh, a really good short call to say like okay, I think that it's easier to find i guess the idea is it's easier to find a stock or a security that's extremely overvalued than it is to find a stock or security that's extremely undervalued and 
it's also easier to pop an overvalued stock than it is to raise the price on an undervalued stock. So there's a lot of people that go out there now looking for a big juice, juicy short bet or short sell. And Plotkin mm -hmm. had um, long said that Tesla stock is like way overvalued and kept trying to kept trying to short it. And uh, and Elon Musk always proved him wrong. He always kind of like showed him like, no, this stock will just keep going up. Doesn't matter how much, uh, you know, doesn't matter how much you short. And I recently uh, Melvin Capital took on a pretty big sh uh, short position in GameStop. Everyone's favorite, you know, local video game store, which is becoming rather obsolete because everything's, you know, you download all your games now. And so there's not really, you know, games aren't really like a physical commodity anymore. So this guy was like, okay, I guess we'll 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 short GameStop because this this company is going away. And about a month ago, this stock was trading probably like under 20 bucks. And in the past few weeks, it ran up, it started going up just as this guy put on the short position. It started going up from 20 to 30 to 40, you know, all the way up uh, to about 75 bucks. And in the last like day or two, I think just in the last two days, right now, the, the last, the closing mark of the stock is $148. And in after hours trading, I think it shot up to like $230. So it's more than 10 times what it was worth beginning of January. And Damn, the result okay. of this, the result of this is major losses, real losses for Melvin Capital. The the fund is actually down about 30% because of all this stuff. Oh shit. Uh-huh. Um, down 30% this year. So that's only 26 days. Um, and the bulk of that probably happened over the last uh, 48 hours. And uh now it's really drawing in uh, you know, some really major institutional investors like uh, Stephen A. Cohen. Uh, I'm sure people, some people may know that name. Um, and uh, Citadel, which is a, a like uh, Ken, Ken Griffin. I don't know if people know that name. But these are the, some of the richest men in America. And so they've decided that they want to go in and shore up Melvin Capital to say, look, because see, it's difficult to maintain a short position. It's expensive. If the stock goes up, we can talk about how a short position works, but it's hard to bet against the stock. It can get very expensive, especially if the stock is rising. So now this sort of battle between, uh, you know, a bunch of like people online who are intentionally trying to, you know, bust the short position. Now they've drawn in Stephen A. Cohen and Ken Griffin, two of the richest men in the country, <laughs> to come in and support the short seller. So you're this is a very like interesting thing because it's like it's literally the dregs of society versus these it's a David and Goliath it's a David and Goliath story. And it's a little bit inverted because we're talking about short positions so the higher the stock of GameStop it's kind of beautiful it's over <laughs> GameStop but the and it's not just GameStop there's a couple other stocks involved in this. Um Bed Bath and Beyond is involved. <laughs> And like AMC oh, movie theaters, BlackBerry is involved. So these oh, are very damn. like all beleaguered. Old, yes. Yeah, yeah it's beleaguered beautiful. Leg yeah. Oh, legacy, awesome. legacy stores. Yeah. And you see these capitalists coming in saying, oh, you know, that era of, you know, 
is dead. You know, the era of going to your local GameStop is dead. The era of going to the movies or to, you know, check your BlackBerry or to, you know, go buy a, a toilet brush at Bed Bath & Beyond. is <laughs> It's over. Mm-hmm. And the, every time they've seen um, Melvin Capital or some other, uh, you know, major short investor try and destroy a stock by shorting it, uh, these these people on Reddit, they don't care about the company. They don't care about the fundamentals. They don't care about the future prospects. They're just like, we're just going to go in. We're going to drive up the price because we know that that is an extremely painful event for short sellers. Which we oh, can nice. So this, and you go on, you know, you go on Reddit. Uh, in fact, I'll go there right now. And you go to reddit.com slash r slash Wall Street Bets, which is the sort of like, hive of this they also have a discord and we have some friends that are in the discord watching it with shock and awe um <laughs> let's see yeah people are posting first there's a guy right here they're posting screenshots of their position and um <laughs> this is 50 32,000 upvotes I have $6 million in GameStop following through. Can't stop. Won't stop. Lift off. Position. <laughs> Market value. Oh, damn. $5.9 million. Oh. <laughs> he bought it at oh, an average. Shit. He bought 27,000 sh- shares at an average cost of $7. Today's return, he made $3.8 oh. he, he made $3.8 million. Um, Very nice. Another guy. This is 81000 uh, share uh, eighty one thousand upvotes in Reddit. So there's a lot of people in Wall Street bets, uh-huh. and he has a net position in G- in GME uh, in a combination of stock and options that are worth twenty two point eight million dollars at the moment. Oh, and if you go into the shit. comments, <laughs> this guy's like the Paul Bunyan of Wall Street bets. Yeah, <laughs> and oh. like the top comment is, "Oh my God, he's still in." He's still in. This is fucking insane. Dude makes $9 million in one day and has the balls to wait for more. Uh, Someone, Don't forget this $22 million was $3.1 million just two weeks ago. Yo, what the actual fuck? DFV is the legend. And he started with $50,000 in 2019. Holy shit. So this guy is the... the David in this scenario leading his He's uh, one of many Davids, army. you know, and, and you look, I mean, yeah, yeah it's yeah. retail investors versus institutional investors and they're putting mm-hmm. billions on, you know, a, a couple billionaires are, are pooling their capital and they're, you know, they're, they're big dick energy. They're, they're big dicking this thing. Like we have billions. We can, we are not scared of your short squeeze. We, mm-hmm. we have more money. We have more ammunition than you is basically what they're saying. Uh-huh. And Damn. they're going up against, it's not a single David, it's a horde of Davids, but they actually have a lot more money than people think. You know, they're coming, yeah, in. these yeah. are people that were riding Tesla the whole way up. And so they have like hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars in their account. Mm-hmm. But they're weird. They're they're not normal people who are like, okay, uh, see, this is the point of these things saying, following through, can't stop, won't stop, which is 
okay, I, I have a, I see that I have an account and it's worth $22 million and I could cash out and basically retire for the rest of my life. And I'm, you know, 28 mm-hmm. years old or whatever, but I'm not going to, because what's more important to me is staying in this to beat these people because they know if they cash out, then, you know, there's, there's really there, what they need to do is put upward pressure on the stock. So if they cash out, they're, they're, they're sort of surrendering, right? They're, they're taking mm-hmm. out their cash. They're no longer contributing to the upward pressure of the stock by, by holding it and buying more. And so these people are literally saying, look, I don't care. 22 million. Keep, just keep hitting, keep, hit me, hit me, <laughs> you know? Nice. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's really interesting. I, I don't know. I, I find this um, fascinating. This is exhilarating. Uh, it is exhilarating. It's really, it's really interesting. Uh, what's going on and you'll see that you know people like here's here's one with 18.6 thousand upvotes this is personal for all of us i've never seen anything like what's happening with gme before and i don't think i'll ever see anything like this it's a big moment a tug of war between tradition and the future hedge fund managers live in the past and look down on us retail investors they believe we don't know anything about the market, which may be true. And we're just gambling our money yeah. away. We don't know any better. We need hedge fund managers to tell us what to do. And that's the that's the world they want to live in. That's the past. Mm-hmm. Remember the scene from The Sopranos where Tony's wife calls to buy 5,000 shares of Webonics after she was yeah, manipulated yeah. emotionally? No, this is in the post, sorry. <laughs> after she was emotionally manipulated emotionally to do so. Institution and hedge funds want us to be stuck in that world. They're scared of the future. Uh, they're scared because we have so much information for free now. There's no more fees for trading. We have large communities that discuss stocks and trading openly. Fuck them all. This affects every single one of you, whether or not you're holding GME. TLDR, fuck hedge funds. This is a cross point into the future. So, and and people are just showering him with, you know, Reddit Reddit. Uh, hardware reddit awards for that for that post but there is a social aspect to what's going on here this isn't merely people trying to make money in the markets they're trying to send a message through the market Mm -hmm. and it's remarkable because they're doing it with real money and they're 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 making a mockery of hedge funds it's amazing wow that's i mean this is this is actually kind of this is historic it is it's never i've never seen they had to trade. Uh, they had to halt trading in in uh, GME because yeah, because it went up too much. <laughs> that never happened. They have short circuits so that if the if it crashes too much, uh, and that happens a lot, is is when a security f- price falls in price too much, they have to halt trading. They've never halted trading for something that's gone up too much, as far as I know. Oh, but it triggered so an upward. A, it's called. They called it um, um, a melt up. Rather than a meltdown. A melt- yeah. Okay, so this is word got around. The wrong people are manipulating the market. That's right. And they know where the it is. Wrong. They're doing it openly and they don't care. They don't fucking care. All right. All <laughs> right, know. well, let's see what happens. So how, um, at what point does uh, does it increase so much that Melvin just tanks? It's hard to say. I mean, if you have a lot of cash, a lot of mm-hmm. money, you can stay in it. But the question is, do you, you, where does this end? See, that's the, we're in the middle of the fight. I have no idea. But they do, I guess they have a sense because they have a sense of how much money is in Melvin. But remember, like, they're, they almost ran out out of ammunition. Then they drew in Stephen A. Cohen and they drew in Ken Griffin. Where these guys. Yeah, that's right. The team up. 
Yes. So they see now they're like, look, we're not just going to let a bunch of, yeah, we don't give a shit about this Plotkin guy. We don't care about Melvin Capital, but that's, he's still one of our own. He's on our mm-hmm. end. He's on the institutional side, right? He's a big dick. And we're not just going to let these little institution, retail investors, little fish, people with, you know, TD Ameritrade accounts, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like he, literally people with Robinhood accounts, right? Yeah. These guys are using, you know, uh, co-located brokers sending, you know, uh, orders directly to the exchange uh, versus these guys that are probably like trading on their cell phone. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> you can see uh-huh. they put screenshots on it and it's like from their Android phone. You know? <laughs> they, they, posted on, they posted on Reddit. And but collectively, <laughs> this flotilla of, you know. Someone called them like a like a armada of or an army of like uh, of kids with six hundred dollars stimulus checks in a in a in a discount brokerage <laughs> account. Are this armada of these people are just like they're so organized around the idea that they hate hedge funders, they hate these people, and they want to teach them a lesson, and that's what they want to do. And I I find that commendable. <laughs> This is way I, more I interesting than, than storming the Capitol, you know? Seriously. So. Yeah. Oh. Well, awesome. This, this is the way Best to do luck it. to them. Yeah. Yeah. I actually own a little GME. I had just, I had no idea. Yeah. Don't sell it. Keep it. I, obviously. Know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't, no, everyone's like, we're not selling. That's the, that's the thing is like, they're just, they're, they're, um, you know, it's so tempting because you can make real money now. I mean, these people have, tw- this guy yeah. has $22 million. He could totally betray this and say, fuck it. I'm going to take my $22 million. But he posts on, I mean, who knows what he's going to do, but he, he posts on Reddit saying, can't stop, won't stop, lift off. <laughs> Power to him. Yeah. Maybe yeah. I'll buy more. Fuck it, yeah. Some people have wondered how short short selling works and why this is so dangerous. And it's it's worth note. I mean, just it just it's worth noting that when you short sell a stock, uh, the reason that's really dangerous is because if I buy a stock, so you can either go long a stock or you can go short a stock. Go long a stock means that you bought it. Right. So I just bought the stock. I'm long the stock, meaning if it goes up, I go up. If it goes down, I go down. And the amount of money that you risk when you go long is capped at whatever you paid for it. Right. So if I buy a stock for $100, the only thing I can lose is $100. But if I go short a stock, meaning if the, if I put myself into a position where where the stock goes up, I lose that money. And if it goes down, I gain that money. Your downside, how much money you can lose, is unlimited. There's no, there's no limit to how much money you can lose if you go short a stock. So, and these people in Wall Street Bets, they're sophisticated enough to know that short sellers have unlimited downside risk. So this is the Achilles heel of the hedge fund industry where they're searching mm-hmm. for stocks to crush. Well, okay, but you're now, you know, you have now exposed yourself to theoretically unlimited downside. But nobody, no short seller would ever think that a GameStop would go from 20 to $230 in three days. There's no way. Because mm-hmm. it doesn't have the fundamentals. It's not worth that at all. 
who what right. what investor would take the other side of that right turns out it's a bunch of crazy people with pitchforks that would do that and they turn the theoretical downside risk into the into something real so the risk managers you know that are you know constantly telling everyone else oh you know you can lose unlimited money when you short and then they themselves short because they know no one will have the stomach to take the other side of that now the theoretical has become real and the way that works is uh you know to go short a stock what you do is uh you got to find someone that owns the stock and borrow it from them with a promise to return it at a later date right so someone out there owns a share of gme as part of their regular portfolio i go to that person and i say hey can i borrow that from you and i'll i'll pay you some fee for it like a small fee um, and I promise to return it to you, uh, basically whenever you want, right? Let me borrow, give me the stock mm-hmm. and I'll return the stock to you, but whenever you call it, but just, just lend it to me. I promise I'll give it back to you. And then, so you borrow the stock from them, you pay a little fee, you margin it, and then you go sell the stock. So you, it's kind of a fucked up thing. You, it's like you borrow something from your friend. And then you turn around, yeah, and you go, go sell it on it. eBay, and yeah, you take yeah. you take in the proceeds. And then the the hope is that it falls in value. So I borrow, uh, you know, I borrow, uh, you know, the PlayStation Five from my neighbor. He says, "Okay, you can have it," but I when I need it back, I'm going to tell you I need it. I go sell it on eBay for five hundred dollars or whatever it goes for, with the hope that. Whenever it is that he calls me back, my neighbor calls me back and wants his PS5 back, I'm going to have to go buy it. And my, my hope is that by the time he wants it back, uh, PS5s will be well stocked all around, the, all around the country. It'll be very easy to buy. I won't have to pay the markup. And I can buy one for $300 and return it to him. And so I've made $200. I sold it for $500. Price went down. When my neighbor called it back, I only had to pay $300 to get it back. So I pocket $200. Mm-hmm. Right. So the problem is, if it goes the other way, if I borrow my neighbor's PS5 and I sell it for 500 bucks, thinking it's going to go down in price, but what happens is uh, there's a huge earthquake in Japan and they don't make any more PS5s for the rest of the year. And the price for the existing PS5s gets shoots to the roof to two, three, two, three $3,000. When my neighbor wants it back, I have to go pay two or $3,000 to return the mm-hmm. PS5 to him. Or it could go to ten thousand, or it could go to a million dollars. So essentially, what <laughs> happened here was, I it's as if they borrowed a PS five and the price of the PS five went to ten thousand dollars. You would never think mm-hmm. that it could actually do that, but that's exactly what happened. Uh, and so, you know that the, that is what they call a short squeeze, is where uh, the investor has to close out all these short positions all at once. So if they go buy, they, they think about it. And I have to go buy. Think about how bad this is. I didn't just borrow one PS5. I borrowed like a ton of PS5s from everyone in the city because I want to do a massive short sale on PS5s. Now, all of a sudden, they're all calling me at the same time saying they want it back. That's called a short squeeze. I got to return a thousand PS5s to everyone I, around the city that I borrowed it from. So I have to go and buy a thousand PS5s. Well, guess what? Those people are going to squeeze the shit out of me in terms of pricing. So it was 10,000 bucks. Now it's 20,000. Now it's 30,000. Now it's 50,000. 
Now it's a million dollars. <laughs> and I got to do it. I have to. I'm obligated yeah. to, to close it out. And that is what's going on with Melvin Capital right now. They're getting calls from all around the city from everyone they ever borrowed a PS5 from saying, I want it back. And now they got to go scour the, you know, eBay and Craigslist and all the shadiest websites to be like, okay, hey, you got a PS5, I got to buy one. And they're getting wrecked uh, because of these people on Reddit. Well, that's pretty cool. I'm in support yeah. of that. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck them. I mean, like, it's so it's so amazing. I, I predict the SEC is going to be very upset about this. Because, you know, billionaires never billion well, they're gonna they're probably gonna say, like, you know, this is market manipulation. And they're gonna try and find a way to make this case because like, look, they don't like you know, when you're billion like I said, billionaires just never lose. Mm-hmm. And if you beat them fair and square like they are now, you know what they'll do? They go running to the government and they'll say, look, I am p- trying to put on a legitimate trade here, right? Like I care about the fundamentals of these companies. I'm trying to actually, you know, contribute to price discovery. I'm trying to contribute to an efficient market that prices securities correctly. These people, they don't care about the value of the security. They don't care about the natural supply and demand for the security. They just, they're just manipulating the price. So the SEC needs to do something about this. When billionaires get fucked, they're going to go run to the government. Oh, so now it's called manipulation. The government will listen. Now it's manipulation, yes. Okay. When they're short-selling it to destroy the price of the, uh, of the, of the stock, it's not. But, but if they get squeezed on their short position and they lose money, mm-hmm. then it is. Okay, you know. well, cool. Let's have it out then. It's long yeah. overdue. Yeah. Um... Which uh, reminds so now the next one is AMC. I'm wondering, like, hey, shit, should should people uh, should people go in and buy AMC? I mean, it sounds like <laughs> yeah. if you're if you're down for the cause, I think it's a uh, that's the value. It's not AMC stock. It's uh, it's sticking it to the system. Yeah, AMC is up. Wait, what's fifty two percent over the past? What's it trading at now? Uh, you know, technically AMC is bankrupt. Yeah, I know. That's not that's not it's trading at five dollars. That's not the problem right now. That's not the product you're buying here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, f- okay. Exactly. All right. Maybe, maybe um, I'll put AMC down a little something, something. Is, yeah. Yeah. AMC is trading at uh it's not, you know, it's not nearly as dramatic as what's going on with GameStop, but it's in that mix. Okay. Well yeah. Up up fifty two percent. Black and Blackberry too, I heard. That's what's going on. Blackberry. All right, cool. Bed Bath and Beyond. <laughs> just a walk down, just take a trip down nostalgia lane. <laughs> buy Black- uh, Yeah, buy every shitty stock, you know, <laughs> of every company that you know you know is going to be disappearing disappearing soon. And uh yeah. So how lovely it's GameStop, you know. Um it must have been something about them trying to target GameStop and everyone just had really good feelings about GameStop. I mean, of course, Elon Musk joined the fray and said GameStonks or he tweeted something. He basically tweeted in support of people who are trying to blow the short sellers out of the water. Yeah. Wait, did he have a hand in this too? Elon Musk? I don't think so. I'm just saying he he tweeted something in support of it. Cheering them on, so to speak. Oh, cool. All right. Yeah. 
So Blackberry Bed Bath and Beyond and AMC. Okay, I guess I guess I'm gonna I'm gonna be doing some uh, a little buying this evening. <laughs> yeah. I love Blackberry. Um, I gotta say, my favorite phone of all time was a Blackberry. <laughs> Uh, man, they're really hammering this uh, fund. <laughs> cool. We'll get in while the while the getting's good, I guess. I mean, it's it's about yeah. time these uh these assholes got a little egg on yeah. their face. I mean, they're gonna be fine. That's the tragedy of this. They're going to be just mm-hmm. fine. But if they if yeah. they lose a little sleep, if they have to cancel, <laughs> yeah, if they have to cancel that appointment with their second favorite uh escort, you know it's yeah it'll be fine do it for the lulls i don't know why wall wall street bets just makes me laugh like there's it is it is legit one of the funniest places on the internet (laughs) someone posted um a a gif of like you know those um the dancing pallbearers yeah yeah yeah. and the the um (laughs) the 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 coffin is uh, labeled efficient market hypothesis, and the pallbearers <laughs> are GameStop, BlackBerry, Reddit, <laughs> <laughs> and of course Wall Street bets. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> this is too funny. Um, yeah. Which reminds me, actually, uh, this is the funny side of you know something that is maybe not so funny. You know what I mean? Like, I think I think these are expressions of some kind of um, some kind of some something. This is some sort of revolt. This is some sort of, you know, then the reason I think that the SEC is going to get involved in this, the government's going to get involved in this. And I used to work at the SEC is because um, they really don't like being made a fool of. The thing that the thing that a lot of you know, um, these, these people like, and I'm sure that the, the, the reason Stephen A. Cohen and Ken Griffin got involved is the same thing is they've written the one thing they don't, they really don't like is to be mocked. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like they don't actually mind losing money per se. They don't mind, um, you know, being, being, uh, protested or people saying that they're, bad people or whatever, unethical people. What they really don't like is to be made fun of and to not be, you know, to be mocked and not respected mm-hmm. in that way. And and I think there is a little bit of this, you know, there's a lower, there's a lot of this going on here, which is this um this attitude of, you know, not this you're this isn't even real. Like we we don't even take any of this stuff seriously. We never did. Like we don't we don't care about value investing. <laughs> You know, like we don't we don't give a shit about, you know, this is all a casino. This is all a fucking casino. I remember like when I first uh, got into I think I forget whether it was my first law job or whether it was when I first got into law school. And then and in fact, I think I went twice. The New York Stock Exchange actually invited us all down. I went once. Yeah, for school. They invited us down there just to, you know, just so we could. So they could, so we could learn to be friends with the stock market, I mm-hmm. guess. And I went again when I was at the SEC. We went, we went down to do like a field visit. The first time I went, um, I remember one of the the guys that was taking us around. He's a floor trader. And he was taking us around, and I was like, "This place looks like a goddamn casino." Mm-hmm. 
you know, because at that time there was still a lot of floor trading going on and uh, it was more like the old style that you would see, you know, with like paper floor uh-huh. and stuff. And he was like really offended by that when I said that. He was like, what you're looking at is the heart of the global economy. You don't just call it a casino. Oh, bullshit. You know? Like there was this enforced sanctity yeah. around what, what we were yeah, looking at. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, you know, and they, they don't, what they really don't like is for people to not take this seriously. This is very serious business. This is the heart of the global financial economy, you know, whatever. And to, to say that this is a joke, you know, is, is the, is the, is the biggest affront, you know, and that's what's going on here, which is why I think they're going to, you know, something's, there's going to be a legal, they're, well, they're going to try to impose legal repercussions mm-hmm. on this. And, uh, and I think the reason that that's going on, I feel like it's part of just this sort of more joke, this broader attitude that has come to sort of a, 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 a certain, it, it, it's come to a certain head in Wall Street bets, but it's indicative, I think, of a larger social um, phenomenon of people, especially younger people. But I think it's affecting older people too now. They're just not, they're just like, look, I don't take any of this seriously anymore. It's becoming a very jokerified culture where, you know, people just, they're just done with the, the you know, the sanctimony, uh, you know, of an economy that is really built around grift. It's, it's, a, it's, it's, you know, and I was, we were talking earlier and I was like, you know, I've been doing these deep, not deep, I wouldn't. They're not deep dives for sure. They're more like, I just do these surveys on YouTube. I just go around looking for stuff like what kind of videos are bringing in a lot of clicks and stuff. And there's like all these circles. It's like, there's all this stuff about like affiliate marketing and all this, like all this stuff about passive income, how to build a passive income business people starting out videos going, this isn't a scam. I just want to give you free information. This is how to do affiliate marketing. People going like, Hey, my name is, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I make $500,000 a month doing affiliate marketing. And I'm here to teach you how to do it too. And there's just like so much grift going online. I mean, this is basically like a YouTube version of multi-level marketing. And it's just like, what are people really into online? It's like hand-to-hand combat, affiliate marketing, and like living in vans. <laughs> like that—that's the—that's what's going on. Like people, like you know, they—they—they uh, they, they view the economy as sort of like nobody, no, like doing real work is is pointless. You know what I mean? Like working for a wage is pointless. What you want to do is you want to go YOLO. You want to be a YOLO investor or whatever. You want to be smart. You want to be like a grifter and set up this like grift machine that will make money for you in the background. They literally say this. They're just like, you, what these businesses are, you just set them up and you just make money in the background. Yeah. The side hustle, you know? passive like, income. These are the buzzwords. Yeah, passive income side yeah. hustle stuff. And, <laughs> and I noticed that... Uh, you know, you can tell when these things are a scam because, like, one of the guys was like, um, you have to select what products you want to sell through your affiliate marketing network. And he was like, I find the things that really work well are business model related oh, products. So selling Meaning, uh, ways. For- 
for other people to do the same thing. Yeah. Yes. It's and it's it's that that's when you know yes. it's a scam. Right? Like I sell the promise that I'm making to you to other people. I like you just keep selling. It's just selling the hope down the down the line, right? Everyone is buying in. Everyone is early an early investor. Everyone wants to be the one making passive income. Okay, but but who's putting money into the system? Everyone that's coming into mm-hmm. the system is putting money that's into the system. That's the definition of a multi-level marketing right. scheme. Exactly. Who's the customer? You're the customer, yeah. you just don't know it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh-huh. Yeah, it turns everybody into basically marks in wa- or marks in waiting. Right. Yeah, I noticed this uh, several years ago um with the right I think this is what um part of the reason why influencer culture gets so derided these days. Um I noticed that with the, a lot of like female focused social media stars of the early aughts, um the people who were getting big um selling, you know, selling fashion not selling fashion, I guess, but being personalities on places like Facebook or in Instagram was the big one. And then you notice that they get uh, they get their they start to get their brand freebies where they're getting clothes gifted to them. Also, and you know um, they get to travel to exotic places to take pictures. Um, there's a there's and then there's a limit to how much money they could make on that. Inevitably, as soon as they got big, and I think this was about like when they tipped the market, like maybe about a million followers inevitably they start uh, they start selling their own merchandise or their own products and inevitably what they and the phase right past that when they start selling their own clothes or collaborations after that is how to how to train up budding influencers to uh to get to their level um so this started happening like maybe maybe five years ago that i could tell and that's when uh, that's when that's when influencers started becoming a bad word. Um, are you noticing something? Yeah, you know, it's like so. Um, I, say I, 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 yeah. I am. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's the trend that I saw in the last five. There are these years. videos. There are these videos where, like, if you click them, I'm, I'm so, I, I do find these fascinating because it's like they get like millions of views. These videos, you know, and I'm like, what are people watching? And they'll say stuff like, so this guy's like, um, I'm going to teach you how to, and it's interesting because like what it is, is basically like, if I teach you how to get an affiliate marketing business set up, the hope is that you join my affiliate Mm -hmm. network, right? And so it's like, I'm trying to expand my network, but I'm giving you free information on how to set up your own business. It's multi-level marketing. So the, there's a point where the guy is like, okay, this is how you build up. Now. Like, how do you get people to click your links? He's like, think about it. You already got a channel, your Facebook profile. That's a channel. You, you have a phone, right? You send text messages. That's a channel. You got email. That's a channel. You got Instagram. That's a channel. You got a YouTube account, upload videos. That's a channel. Everyone's got channels. He was like, now... I made this is what literally, he literally said this. He's like, now I know that for a lot of those things, you probably use it to keep up with your friends to talk about, I don't know, like friend shit. But we're here to talk about how to make money. Oh, God. <laughs> so, and then there was another one. You click on another one, and those, they keep saying the same thing. There was this one girl. She was like, Have you ever, like, uh, same affiliate marketing? I'm going to teach you how to do affiliate marketing. And then so, 
she starts off by by spritzing something into the camera. She's like, have you ever had a friend tell you, damn, what is that? I love what you've got there. And you tell them what it is and then they go buy it. Well, I'm here to tell you that next time that happens, you're going to get paid. What the fuck? Right. So what it is, is like and, and you'll see a lot of like they'll, they'll say stuff like people come because they're financially mm-hmm. desperate. Like people come here because they're really trying to find a way to actually end up with enough cash to pay their bills and they don't have any other options. And so they go on YouTube and there's all these videos about how to make $500,000 a month doing nothing. Mm-hmm. Right. And so they, people are attracted to this stuff like, uh, you know, like Moss to a flame. Mm-hmm. And immediately you see, it's like you become a narc for Amazon or ClickBank or whatever Amazon affiliate based sellers are out there. You become a narc to your real life friends. And that's what multi-level marketing was. And that's why they they always, people always sort of socially uh, sort of painted themselves into a corner because they turn all of their friendships into business relationships. Mm -hmm. And... um, but yeah, that's what they were saying. They were like, you know, you have to rethink your social connections, your social relationships from friendships and family members, things of that nature to potential uh, customers. And that's the way you're going to make money. God, that's bleak. That is so bleak. That's right. existentially you know, bleak. So... Yeah, but that's what's going on online, and it's it, and and it is bleak. These things, these videos are very to me. First, they're ubiquitous. Second, they're always these really you you know how you can just tell a huckster when mm-hmm. you see them. They're just they just talk a little too fast, and they're just like, "Hey, everything's positive, everything's great. What you're doing is you're leaving money on the table. You're stupid, <laughs> but you don't have to be. You could be smart." I make $500,000 a week, you know, or whatever yeah, the yeah, fuck, yeah. you know, I make $30,000 a day, you know, like whatever, Some like used car something to shit. piss you off. It's like, I'm this hipster, you know, 28 year old white dude. And I spend all day at the beach and I make $30,000 a day and you work for a living. You're stupid. And it's become, you know, and I think that that's like the downside, the negative side of the economy. Whereas like we just talked up wall street bets. But I think, Wall Street bets is the is the sort of like um, the the fully jokerified version of this, where they're just they they understand that it's all this is yeah. all shit, and so let's go after at least let's turn the cannons on 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 someone that deserves it, right? But when most people I think are not Wall Street bets, most people are not at home with sitting with a few million dollars in paper, you know, in brokerage value. Uh, to join in on this, most people are actually trying to make ends meet, and that's really sad to me that you know um, you're you're getting these networks of selling that are requiring people to um, cannibalize their social relationships um and 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 hope to ring ring some money out of organic mm-hmm. social relationships it's like clear cutting social relations and you know turning them into affiliate affiliate um link networks and that's that's the nature of the economy that's what a lot of young people are facing because there's no it's not a real economy like i said there's no 
there's no real work to be done, right? It's just scamming everyone, trying to get in early on stuff, being getting, early. Getting one over. Um, you know, getting no, ahead of no, the... Yeah, getting one over everyone else. You can't get ahead by cooperation. You have to kind of... Everything is geared towards being... You have to scam yes. in order to get ahead. Because everything's rigged. Every act of cooperation is is a veiled form of yeah. exploitation. It's a scam. Like I, we talk in terms of cooperation, but it's not. I talk in terms of oh, I'm just on YouTube trying to give you free information because I love helping people achieve their dreams. No, I'm on YouTube trying to build my affiliate network and the number of clicks that I get because I told you the truth. Mm -hmm. That is actually how I make money, right? So that's what's going on in the economy, and it's real. And there, people are really making actual money about this stuff. But a lot, most people are getting. So it's like what passes for it's. It's like capitalist mutual aid. Everyone's passing around the same twenty bucks in the hope of making like fifty. God, yeah. that's so sad. It is. It's a sort of like degenerate kind of capitalism because they talk in terms of capital, and they have an MBA type talk where they're like. What you want to do is understand that when you invest your money into the business, the money does the work for you. So instead of you know using your personal time in the form of labor to achieve wealth, what you want to do is you want to set up a machine that can earn money using money. And that's capitalism, folks. And... In a way, I mean, that is a kind of like rudimentary, rudimentary description of capitalist capitalism. But that's not what's going on here, right? They're not, they're not talking about investing in capital and extracting labor from someone. No, this is just a straight scam. I'm just trying to scam you from money. I'm just, I'm just trying to yeah. get you to click my link. You know, that's not capitalism. Uh, but it is a degenerate form of capitalist ideology that now has just, you know, even the good part of capitalism. Even the part that actually did create value and wealth through through actual productive work is gone. That part of it is gone. But you're just left with the ideology, you know, of the passive income. You know, be your own boss. I mean, in a sense, this, this uh, Wall Street bets run. Uh, you can call it that a run, right? Um, I mean, it's it's the beauty mm -hmm. of it is that uh, the minute there's a group of people that work um, that managed to work in opposition to that principle of uh, dog eat dog, big things do happen. This is like an exercise in uh, this. This is a pretty, mm -hmm. this is a pretty neat little, uh, you know, prisoner's dilemma going on here. You and, you and uh, Philip uh, talked about this, you know, a little mm -hmm. bit with the drop shipping stuff, you know, and, and the way that, um, you know, a lot of like Asian, you know, there was that, I, I forgot the name of it, but there's like some group online, like a discord or something where it's a bunch of Asian people, like Asian American people, like trying to figure out, you know, sort of entrepreneurial skills and stuff like this. But I think Philip was saying he was like, it, you know, it always ends up being like an affiliate marketing thing, or I'm going to mm -hmm. do, do drop shipping. Right. And which is very similar. And it just seems like, and he had, he was frustrated with it. And I understand his frustration with that because it's kind of like, that's not really, I mean, Philip had couched it in the sense of like, why don't you do something socially important or socially important, uh, valuable. Uh, but I think that in a way that's unfair because it's like, 
there is nothing to do that's socially valuable because our economy isn't created that way. It's not a matter of individual choice. You know, I think it's too easy to say like, oh yeah, it's just a degenerate uh, generation of people that don't want to do any real work. There is no real work to do in this economy. That's my point. And I, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't think that they're wrong to say to turn their back on a traditional white collar career. Yeah, they're. Well, I don't think there's anything there. There. I mean, it's a bit of a chicken and the egg situation. Um, there are entire. I think one of them is a is a mm -hmm. is a massive lack of imagination. What the second is a chronic inability to access the capital needed in order to unlock the imagination. Um, there are entire industries let, that need to be created that we can we can absolutely have the uh, means to create if uh, enough people had the means to do so. And so, but we just simply can't get there. And we're incentivized to not get there because we all need to survive. So the longer we go just surviving, the longer it takes to actually get anything off the ground. And we just get uh, stuck under the boot heel of all the dysfunctional shit that's currently existing. Uh, so there's, there's a chicken and egg. But that's why capitalism yeah. works, right? But that's why capitalism works because capitalism is to say, look, I don't need everyone to believe. I just need to have someone with the means like that, like we, we have to just like concentrate the wealth into, you know, a small number of really motivated people that are going to make it happen because not because they got everyone to believe, but because they're paying everyone. Right. And they can, they can make their dreams come true because they're, they're backed with billions of dollars, you know? And the problem is that, as much as we hate capitalism, I know it's woke to say we hate capitalism. I, you know, you sometimes have to wonder, are we even in capitalism? I don't think so. I mean, of course, not in capitalism, we'd have productive work to do and we'd be we'd have uh, we'd allow uh, competition to uh, do its thing. Yeah. OK. Uh, OK. All sorry. Right. So we're back. Sorry, we had a little bit of a glitch, but sorry, I was going on a tangent anyway, and I should probably have gotten off that tangent. But the point being, um. Yeah, I, I don't think it's really the fault of the generation of, like, say, the millennials or Zoomers or whatever. Like, there was this thing, I remember, like, there was this meme that was going around where, like, they were saying, oh, what what do children in China want to be when they grow up? What's their dream job? And it was, like, astronaut. And in the U.S., it was YouTuber, you know? And everyone was like, <laughs> oh, these stupid kids, you know, whatever. But I'm thinking, like, you know, we don't have, uh, we don't have a culture that really... Um, inspires them you know to say you know the way say my generation or our generation was inspired by or maybe even earlier actually but by things like the space shuttle program or going to the moon and things like this right um you know we 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 hear these stories about people who through almost like no effort just being a jackass on youtube turned famous make millions of dollars become celebrities date celebrities and achieve the american dream without even like having graduated high school properly <laughs> you know like it's a it, there we're we're teaching people to um to not respect work to say work is a really stupid thing to do and i think part of this hatred of capitalism is in in a certain way 
because it's not understood, like there's no discipline to the idea that capitalism is bad, like that capitalism is, is, is an exploitative system. We just know to say, oh, capitalism sucks, meaning participating in the capitalist system as a, as a worker sucks. It's exploitative. It's stupid. You'll never get paid enough money. And it's dumb. And so the right thing to do is to take, you know, my um, future into my own hands and become an online grifter and I can make $30,000 a day or, you know, or whatever. And I'll drive Lamborghinis and hang out with, you know, either Jake or Logan Paul or whatever, one of what, whatever their names are. Like, you know, it's, um, it's just a really, you said bleak. I think that's the exact word that I'm that comes to mind for me. Like this is just a bleak cultural situation that young people are confronted with. Sure, I see it as a long period of decadent decline, mm-hmm. um, which means that there's a there's a period of actual you know violent unrest at the end of it. I don't think we're quite there yet, but I think it's going to get more and more turbulent until we hit that point. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's inevitable if we're talking about, like, there are limits to things, right? Uh, like, we talk about, you know, Amazon is driving out small business at a record rate, all, which is true. Um, how long can that go on, right? That's not, a, that's, not a, that's not a thing that can go on into perpetuity, right? Uh, at some point, there's enough people unemployed who can't buy Amazon services, Amazon's products. And then what happens to Amazon? Right. We're just in that long tail and it's going to be a very long tail for us because it is a historically wealthy society on the whole, uh, which means that there's a long way to go before we finally hit the collective wall and some shit starts to go down. Some real shit, not not a jaywalk onto Capitol Hill, but real shit that goes down that actually disrupts uh, operations for those who own capital. Yeah. I mean uh, the the scary the scary part of it is that you know we are reliant on the willingness of countries like China uh among many other countries to provide us with the things that we need in exchange for just cash. Mm-hmm. And how long that is going to last is it, you know we're in a, that that relationship is obviously in a very precarious in a precarious moment now. Where, you know, we, we, we just sit around the world and we just consume and we export cash. And I don't know how, you're right, I don't know how much longer that can last. And, you know, obviously that I don't think that the rest of the world feels like they're getting a very good deal out of it. Mm-hmm. And especially now when we've got, um, we're, we have no choice but to basically debase our currency. I mean, you should see the chart of the money supply right now it's 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 like the chart of co2 and it's just like that i mean shit, you know, yeah. it's like it's like that it's it's crazy yeah um we call the it amount quantitative of easing been, um, we call it yeah. quantitative easing when china does it i mean what do we like what what do we call it like currency manipulation yeah yeah there used to be this uh quote i forgot who it was it was i think it was a one of the fed reserve governors and he was like, you know, a billion dollars here. This is when they were doing bailouts and stuff. Like billion here, billion there. Pretty much, you're talking about real money after a certain point. That was kind of a joke, right? <laughs> say, you know, a billion here, a billion there. Pretty soon, you're talking about real money. But that, you know, that was then. That was probably, you know, then. And now we're talking trillion here, mm-hmm. a trillion there. 
and pretty soon we're going to talk real money. We're talking about like it was a two Where trillion dollar go? bill. Where did it all? It's six trillion. Yeah. Six fucking I mean, vast trillion dollars with record yeah. lines at food banks. Yeah. I mean, where? I mean, how long can that go? go on for? It it yeah. can't because none of the, very little of that six trillion actually amounted to shit in terms of a productive economy. None of it went exactly. to creating more jobs or actual expanding productive capabilities. It seems like most of that just got funneled to the richest people. It's just dollars sitting in their accounts. Yeah, that's all it is. They all they did, all the government did. They didn't. Um, you know, the government doesn't have a bank account. It doesn't have. The government doesn't have a bank account where they keep their money. Mm-hmm. They make money. By spending right? it. When they decide to spend yes. it, that's when money is made. Yeah. Yeah. They don't have an account from which they're like, oh, we have, we don't have a lot of money, but, uh, you know, times are tough. So I guess we're going to go raid our money box <laughs> and give you some of our money, the government money. And then government, you know, calls up Chase and is like, hey, can you write out $200 million checks for $600 a piece. You know, no, that's not what happens. Okay. The government doesn't have money. It doesn't store money. It creates money. So it, it, it's a question of how much they're allowed to create before, uh, you know, we, and it, you know, before the situation kind of gets out of hand, I don't know. I have no idea. I'm not sure, but I know that basically it's like climate. It's like, we've never been in this situation before where we've had this rate of money creation and it of of course coincides with exactly the point in time where i think our relationship with uh the rest of the world where we just um say look your generations entire generations of your people are going to spend their lives laboring to make stuff for us that's gonna be their life and in return they just get your 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 society will just get a bank account at the federal reserve with numbers in it which can be suspended or withheld if uh we decide we don't, we don't like, like your it. elected leaders or if we don't just, we're just pissed off there were very serious calls in congress to say that china owes america reparations for covid because they caused it they created it in a lab and tried to destroy us with it that that was the accusation, of course, that, oh, maybe what we'll do is we'll just deduct it from their Federal Reserve bank account. Oh, my and God. Because they yeah, have Try. Right. Try. Jesus Christ. Yeah, but try to do try. I mean, obviously, you can't do it. I mean, that will destroy yeah. the U.S., but they can't do it. But yeah. think about think, – but think about – but here's the thing, though. We have done it to other countries. We have done it to Venezuela. We have done mm-hmm. it uh, – we have threatened recently to do it to Iran. Uh, and we have threatened to do it to Iraq. Oh, no, we have done it to Iran. We threatened to do it to Iraq. And uh, in the case of Venezuela, for example, we just transferred control of the bank account over to Juan Guaido. Who the fuck is this guy? I don't know. So He came the, to the Biden inauguration. Yeah. As the yeah, legitimate exactly. leader in exile yeah. of Venezuela. Yeah, I don't know who this fucking person is. Yeah. And the... Um, you know, what you're really saying is like, look, uh, you know, if you're going to threaten a country like China with that, I mean, literally hundreds of millions of people spent their life working 
And that $4 trillion is a reflection of the value they created with their labor. And the benefits of that labor, the, the value that was created by that labor, most of it was exported for easy, cheap consumption in the West, primarily America. And in exchange for that, we look down on them. We say they stole our jobs, right? We don't say, oh, they made us everything. We say they stole our jobs. And so because we hate them so much for stealing our jobs, we'll say, you know what? Maybe we'll just... We'll just we'll just um, erase all the cash that we paid you for your work, so that really I valued the stuff that you created for us at zero. Is the sort of net sum of our attitude towards the rest of the world. Now, there's reasons we can't do that, like you know that that. You know, we we actually don't have the power. We we have the means to do it, but we don't have the power to really see it through because we would end up destroying our own financial system and destroying our own economy and doing that. So we would never take that risk, I don't think. But well, the mean, fact that very serious people in Congress, et cetera, have said this shows you that we are not worthy of being the at the center of the global economy. It should not be the U.S. We're not. We we can't handle it. Mm -hmm. Like we can't be trusted with it. I I mean that's it's so catastrophically ignorant of economics, just basic economics, basic history, basic just common sense. Ah, uh, and these yeah. are the people that are in power, directing these things. Mm -hmm. Like, sorry, um, this democracy has failed. It's, I wouldn't. I wouldn't I mean, when I saw it. that, I, I, I feel like maybe people can't quite read the. I mean, I think people have a hard time interpreting this because most Americans don't understand. They don't even understand what a central bank is, like the apparatus of America as the center of global capitalism, the hu the hub of it, and how that works. You know, pe I think people think still that that's an opinion or an overstatement. Versus an actual, accurate, objective description of what America is. They still think it's like this sort of edgy talk to say like, oh, America is an empire. No, America is a financial empire and the U.S. dollar is the de facto currency of this empire. And um, that certain responsibilities, um, special responsibilities arise under that situation. That if you paid attention, American leadership has understood for a long time. And that we needed, for example, uh, to have a banking system that was apolitical, that didn't take sides in political conflicts, particularly when the United States was involved. I mean, imagine if I put my money at Chase and Chase is like, you know what? We looked at your social media. We're not really, you said some bad shit about us. So we went ahead and just froze your account. But you know, <laughs> you when know? they say... Um... Like, imperialism is coming home we're getting to that yes. point though operation choke point i mean you know what you you know you're familiar with that one right under obama no mm, no okay so operation choke point and sesta fosta um really really bad precedents set by the obama administration we can't blame trump at all for this so ostensibly it was to curtail illicit activity conducted over the web so this gave giant leeway to the private banks 
to suspend, uh, freeze assets and t- just actually seize assets held by people suspected ah, okay. of uh, se- like sex work. Uh, that was the that, that was the thin end of the wedge, right? Sex work, as as sex work tends to be um in in political right. parlance uh but like right. drug running weapon sales f- uh trafficking another big buzzword uh anyone suspected of those activities not it doesn't have to be proved even and your financial activities can be completely curtailed um so and we right, saw this right, right. we saw that so this started under obama and to much to much fanfare for cur- you know, for stomping out illicit activities conducted over the web. We saw an expansion of this just a couple of weeks ago after the Capitol Hill, uh, the storming of the storming of Capitol Hill. Uh, when you see what right, happened to right. Parler, right? How the, how all mm-hmm. their vendors were able to just pull the plug on them completely legally uh, under mm. the precedent set by uh, Sesta Fosta. Um, so this mm-hmm. is hap- This is actually, so, you know, when you say it's analogous to Chase say doing like, deciding that they don't like you. And so, you know, seizing your assets, we're actually at that mm. point. I think right, we're going to see an right. escalation of that. Now we just have public opinion in favor of that kind of shit. So uh, we're just in a very dangerous time where even public opinion can be manipulated to support things that are that, uh, that are that egregiously uh, oppressive. Yeah. I mean, I think that, 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 that makes a lot of sense. And I feel like that's part of the reason um, why there's this campaign of demonizing China. Um, and I've started, it's, it, it both kind of made me relax and it kind of raised, made me a little bit more worried at the same time. Meaning, you know, I, I think a lot of this is paper tiger stuff, meaning like it's not really posing a threat to China. Um, but what it does is it does set up, it starts to uh, normalize the you know stuff like that you're just talking about it, it starts to, it starts because you see this online like you 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 level a criticism about a policy or something that seems very dystopian you know and they'll say um and they'll say like uh for example like surveillance or whatever the response from americans these days is kind of like oh have you seen what's going on in china yeah, so I think it's there's an intentional uh, hyper, hyperbolic um, quality to the reporting. I think it's intentionally supposed to be extremely hyperbolic. I, I know, um, like in 2020, a lot of people like you, uh, our friend Amanda, cat content only, great account, uh, were really digging through like the headlines, like the New York Times, the Washington Post, all the big flagship publications, and it's like, how the fuck could we be could we be putting out such hyperbolic garbage, painting China as this lurid beast, basically, this un- this uh, seedy underbelly, except it's a billion freaking people, right? Um, I think that's intentional, actually. I think there are people who know that this is this is not what China actually is. But the reason you do that is to make it more palatable to be something better than that. At yeah, least yeah, in a, to... a propagandized version of uh, what China is. So it's not yeah. about accuracy. It's not about accuracy in trying to portray China as it actually is. It just has to be always one or two steps worse than wherever we're at. So we're really the baseline here. I think that's right because there was that Jack Goldsmith article in um, the Atlantic that that just 
came out and and say so, sometimes the brazenness of it is really shocking. Um, but this article is one of those where he said, when it comes to internet freedom, uh, China was largely right and America was largely wrong. And part of me was like, man, like China is just an excuse. Like, because what he's advocating is it doesn't really matter what China's thinking or policy is or whatever. It's just what, what China is just there as a way to introduce the thing that we want to do to say like, okay, we want to do internet censorship. Yeah. Okay. But I know that that's very un-American and no one expected, but here's the thing. China's doing it and they're kind of making it so that we got to do it too. If they didn't do it, we wouldn't have to do it. But it's a global economy. They're doing it. We're going to kind of have to do it. And I think like that, that is this, um, you know, this, it kind of reminds me of the way Clinton sold the NAFTA mm-hmm. and this, this idea that we would have to outsource jobs and get ready from, get ready to lose your jobs, get ready to lose your manufacturing jobs. Why? Well, you're competing against really cheap labor from abroad and there's really, you're now part of the global marketplace and that's the reality of it. There's no, like, it's, it's this sort of like hard medicine selling to people this idea that, you know, uh, there ain't no free lunch and, you know, we're going to have to go along to get along. You're going to have to do your part. You know, you are have to lose your job because you can't compete. Yeah. You know? Uh, sorry, and guys. It's just how it's going to have to be. <laughs> that's just what the world's doing to you. I'm not doing it to you. The world's mm-hmm. doing it to you. And, uh, you know, I think they're do- saying that a little bit with all this internet censorship that they want to do now, which is kind of like, we don't want to do it, but the fact that Russia is infiltrating our, you know, our networks and China is launching, you know, hack, you know, massive hacks and all this stuff. Like, we really got to crack down on this stuff. And uh, it would be nice, sure, if we kept to our values about, you know, freedom of expression and uh, an open internet and things like this. But the reality of the world, you know, hey, we were naive. Let's face it. So we're going to have to do a little bit of house clipping here. I I mean, I think that's even that's uh, that's still the more uh, noble explanation for what's going on. I mean, we saw just from a couple of weeks ago. I mean, now it doesn't even have to be like that. It's just we're trying to keep you safe. All of these dangerous elements that that we have. We hear you. We see you. Um, We're here to keep you safe and your Internet experience protected. This is why we're going to have to. We need your help to help clear the Internet of disinformation, of dangerous, Mm -hmm. radical elements in our society. We are the ones to have to do that. We don't. We don't want that responsibility. But damn it, we just have to. Every we're all in this mm-hmm. together. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, that was exactly the message. Uh, like Sheryl Sandberg, um, a, a, like a week after deplatforming, you know, the Capitol Hill riots when they just went on this uh, bloodbath, purging all the social media platforms of uh, mm-hmm. quote disinformation and dangerous elements. She actually went went uh and did a whole little uh media dog and pony show about this. How mm-hmm. uh Facebook was now the only platform with the reach in big enough to be able to uh handle disinformation and and radicalization. 
I mean, it's a brilliant, it's a brilliant and, and disgusting PR sleight of hand here. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we're going along with it. We are. We're just. We're we're fine with it. Yeah. I. That's the part that I can't. I I I, I have a hard time processing that. That's the thing that I can't. I can't quite handle. I guess the the question is, you know, what what is the what is the um, response to all this stuff? Because it seems like I almost wonder if it's better to just sort of go with it and just be like, okay, this is the environment I live in, and I'm going to adapt to it, and I'm gonna I'm gonna get my uh, I'm gonna get my YouTube channel going, you know. I mean, I'm revenues. Learn, I'm gonna learn. Should... A, I'm gonna learn one of these grifty trades. You know, I'm gonna get in early. I'm going to get pumped. I'm going to get psyched. I'm going to get ready, you know, or, or is there even, is it even worth, uh, this is something I wonder about. Is he, is it even worth, uh, being critical of it or do you, you know, if you can't beat him, join him. Right. I don't see how you because... can join him. Honestly, for That's most, true. That's true. um, I don't see how you can. And I'm not saying like, Oh, as a matter of principle, no, I'm talking about the actual dollars and cents. YouTube yeah. revenues have been falling. Every all of the usual grifts across the social media platforms have been falling. You know this exactly mm. because revenues for those companies, which they publish, have gone have skyrocketed. There's not enough to go around. There is not enough to go around. Um, so I mean, without even being, with, I mean, you can point to some people, like the five people that do actually make millions off of this, and you can point to the millions that are on the platform, keeping the numbers inflated. By the way. Um, that make them that make them look so great. So what but, happens then? Do you think people just uh, okay? So there's not enough to go around. Uh, so what happens to people? What happens from here on out? Because uh, in my opinion, I don't think Americans are going to really do anything. Then I, I, I don't guess see them. We're going to become an increasingly savage country. Mm-hmm. It's going to be dog eat yeah. dog. It's going to be the absolute you know apotheosis of individualism it's anarchy um it's going to become a ruthless even more bloodthirsty savage country yeah until uh... until some tipping point we're going to be increasingly crushed so more and more like we talk a lot about next nine because that's i Mm -hmm. i mean that's the segment that i think you and i are comfortable speaking about because that's the 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 segment that uh that we were born and raised to be in that mm-hmm. that next nine in a couple of years it's going to be the next eight the next seven then it, that's it's an increasingly shrinking uh pool of people that is that is surprisingly influential in terms of uh like cultural production right what happens when that class shrinks when uh when the shield the buffer for the one percent starts evaporating because there is a tremendous amount of financial pressure even if we're just talking about financial yes. pressure there huge amount of financial pressure on this next nine there with is. household balance sheets being the way i mean debt is sky high uh, and, 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 and i think i think it, you know it was funny because I, I i i used to um uh i used to talk to someone who would who would complain about this she was like uh, she went to like a really rich, this girl I dated back, uh, back in the day. And she, she went to like a really wealthy school, like the internet, the American school, uh, in Taiwan. And it's all rich kids there, right? Like their parents would own like a pharmaceutical company wow, or something that's, like that. That's so loaded. classmates were all loaded, but she, yeah, but she was, she was the, uh, 
you know, the middle class girl. Her 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 parents were um, university professors, and so you know they were comfortable, but they weren't rich, and um, she couldn't afford the lifestyle of those people. But on the other hand, you know, her well to do ness and her sort of upper class, um, the the sort of ability to culturally pass, uh, you know. There's a stronger cultural similarity between uh, the so-called next nine or whatever professional middle class and the top one percent. There is a sort of like optical cultural affinity uh, nexus between the two of them that's not mm-hmm. shared by everyone else, right? Um, and that 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 left her, she said, in a limbo space where nobody gives a shit about you because you're neither rich enough to matter. Nor are you, you know, like poor enough to be free (laughs) in a sense, right? Like, and with the first part, I understood the second part, I didn't quite understand. I kind of understood what she's saying, but now I understand more because, and I think this is going to be a big political and social issue in 20, like later 2021 and then next year, is that. And this, this, a lot of this came from my experience being on the board of my of the uh, that yeah. I used to live in, where we handled a lot of our finances and stuff. Is and because a lot of stuff that you see, like in terms of how who gets taxed and what, you know, we got Ron Kim, bless him, going out there tax the rich. Guess what? They do tax the rich. Okay, they tax the fuck out of the rich. They tax property at a really, you know, th- they are looking for the the city is looking for. In, like ways to raise revenue and they're going to get it one way or another and they're going to tax they're going to tax the shit out of property and what i noticed is and we would complain about this on the board is politically speaking you know the next nine isn't protected in that sense like they when you say buffer it's like a human shield it's like a human meat buffer it's like look the politicians are going to dump on you all day because you are considered part of the the haves and you are part of the haves right but you can't it's the part of the haves that can least afford to you know uh to to suffer like higher taxes and having more of your income taken away plus the fact that no one there's no one cares about you like no like you are persona non grata in politics in city politics because you're considered you live in a wealthy zip code no one's no one's crying for you and and like your like tax bill that came out you know 50 percent higher yeah. this year than you expected no nobody's crying for you in city hall okay but you're also not rich enough for that to not really matter or you're not rich enough to have loopholes to get you out of it you know so i do think that uh in the next you know couple years especially as we see um municipal and local state and local finances get decimated that the dream you know the white collar dream of like owning one or two or hell maybe even three homes uh you know that's the that's the white collar side mm-hmm. hustle right is passive yeah, real estate hustling yeah like that investment properties real estate hustling that when this flips and it will it's already flipping big time in new york city Real bad in New York City if you were someone who owned um, uh, rental properties in Manhattan as your side hustle. You're you're hurting. 
that that is going to get worse and that the white collar dream of home ownership and passive income through home ownership and retirement security through, uh, you know, through uh, equity in one's home is going to get inverted. And suddenly we might find ourselves in a situation where owning property is a real liability because your ass is going to get taxed and there's no avoiding those taxes. So uh, what am I trying to say? That I I think that's one way in which the middle, the next nine is going to realize that they are sacrificial lambs. Yeah. I mean, something has to happen with that class for anything to move. Um, so I don't mean to imply that it's the most important class in terms of where attention needs to be focused necessarily. I mean, when we have record breadlines, literal breadlines, snaking around uh, snaking around the block in every major city in the U.S. Homelessness is at a record high. Evictions are through the roof. Poverty, what's something like 10 million people were pushed into poverty last this year and last year. Uh, in terms of need, I'm not talking about in terms of need. I'm talking about in terms of consciousness to actually uh, change anything. I think the, the next nine needs to um, needs to be pushed a bit more. And I think, and I, and it's. You're saying they're important in the sense, like of a, they're they're like a jungle block that, if it gets removed, yeah, because look, they are the foot soldiers. uh, I'll just say we, um, we are the foot soldiers of the one percent, right? Right. In terms of cultural production, they're talking about like if you're talking about like oh, like in the like like leftists will talk about you know brainwashing, propaganda, all of that. Who produces that here in the United States? It's people in that next nine or maybe in the next mm-hmm. uh, 15, right? Sure. The college educated, culturally mm-hmm. aware, somewhat uh, somewhat well-heeled. Um, it comes from the upper, let's say, fifth of America, right? The journalists, the reporters, all of that, all of that comes from that next nine. The, uh, you know, um, the doctors, the lawyers, that's all that's all there. You start pressing. I mean, and I think mm-hmm. uh, and I think policies are pretty craft have been uh limping along because they kind of coddle that next nine into feeling solidarity with the one percent or at least making the penalty of dropping out of that class so catastrophically uh, uh severe uh that the fear keeps them indebted and servile Yeah, but they also yes, they get do. sacrificed first because, like, when every time it comes down, I mean, they love to this idea that, um, uh, like, for example, now you know they're doing. I, you could see this now, like, with Biden, um, who wants to renegotiate the fourteen hundred dollar <laughs> supplement. You know, the to the six. So he said he's open to renegotiation on what on the no. Well, no, the reneg- we'll keep the fourteen hundred bucks, right? But we want. He says he wants to renegotiate. He wants to have flexibility on the income requirements or the income thresholds. Jesus so Christ. this is a way the government always does yeah. this through means testing to say we want to figure out where on the income chart um, giving a shit about these mm-hmm. people drops off. Right. We want to find out like where it is on the income chart where once you hit that point, you're considered one of the rich. And we don't, you know, you're, you're now, we don't give a shit about you. We, you know, we care about everyone below that point. And it's effective because I think that 
you know, a lot of people on the left are not really interested in uh, any sort of alliance or, you know, with people that make $150,000 or more or something like that. Right. But guess what? The rich people don't give a fuck about them either because they're not rich. They're not like, you know, like if you're rich, I'm not worried about someone that's make pull in 300 G's a year. That's not my definition of rich. You're, you're just some working stiff. Okay. You're just one of my higher paid lieutenants. I mean, that's I'm not even are. sure it's that high and higher so, paid compared to them. So yeah, no, I, I totally get what you're saying here. And I think that's correct. I mean, the rich yeah, don't they, even get paid. They just have, they don't money. even like, I just own yeah. shit. I don't need to get paid. I just have money. Like I, I don't, I don't get paid. I don't get a paycheck. Yeah. You know? Like I just own shit. Uh, you know, it's like, it's like Bill Gates and whatever. He got paid himself a dollar a year or whatever it was. Who, who I forgot. Someone was famous used to pay I himself a dollar. Steve Jobs, a but a bunch of CEOs right? took that on. And but then, you know, negotiated giant, you know, yeah. It's yeah. A joke. Stock. Yeah. They owned, they owned fucking like, you know, a huge yeah. portion of the company. Right. So, it was a joke. I mean, everyone at that time, it just showed you how little the American public understood about wealth to think that, oh my God, he's only getting yeah. paid a dollar I mean, a year. I was trying to, I was like, oh, you holy know? shit. Look Come at this, this beacon of philanthropy here. I mean, speaking of Bill Gates, I think um, that yeah. an example that brought uh, that brought this home for me too uh, was um, it, up in Seattle, yeah. there was a, there was a, a local bill being proposed to tax, to tax uh-huh. income, uh, to, they needed to they need to fill yeah. in some budget shortfalls uh, and they wanted to add a new kind of a tax or a one-time fee i think it was a one-time fee i could be mistaken but um some kind of tax on high earning individuals to shore up the budget shortfall which sounds perfectly reasonable and this was actually uh, like helmed by um uh, bill gates's dad uh bill gates senior um mm-hmm. yeah but it was interesting mm-hmm. yeah it was interesting how uh the income Threshold, the bottom of that was two hundred and twenty thousand dollars per year. Um mm-hmm. mm. that's it. That right. was interesting to me because clearly this is trying to aim at the extremely high net worth individuals like you know Bill Gates Jr. Um, all of the you know, all the tech money that's up mm. there, some very high net worth individuals there. But they set yeah. that income at two twenty. Um, and I think that's to capture mm-hmm. that broad that broad class of uh, moderately well paid white collar uh, professionals um, with incomes around that level to f- mm-hmm. make them be the foot soldiers for those like five billionaires that live in Seattle. So you make you, you get the doctors right, and the lawyers right. and the uh, the the tech the tech like middle management types to feel to basically be the meat shields to protect mm-hmm. Bill Gates Jr. from paying a higher uh, a higher tax for Seattle. That's how this works. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I, I'm not saying this to be sympathetic to the next nine, which I'm not particularly sympathetic to the next nine. I'm just saying that the next that that that, that people because so many Asian Americans find ourselves in that group, and what bothers me is this sort of like sort of apolitical, depolit, like depoliticized or apolitical, indifferent, apathetic attitude that takes hold because I think people are just too fucking busy and too stressed out because they got a lot of money problems, they're juggling a lot of 
you know, they, they got rich people problems, but mm-hmm. they don't have rich people money. It, no, I think it does. Does that make sense? I think a lot of the I remember, like, is trying to make I remember, those like, two um, ends meet, and they're never going to meet. Right. Yeah, and I remember, like, when I, when, um, I was working at the law firms, this is when there started to be the law firm model started to fall apart because it was just growing too fast. Like the, the it's, it's a pyramid scheme, you know, and it started getting a little bit too bulky, you know what I mean? To support um, the lifestyle of, you know, what a law, law firm partner used to expect, which is a, a one percenter mm-hmm. type lifestyle. Right. And you have to mint partners. You have to create partners, but not of the, the partners are all living in, you know, little, they, they they have to they have to budget you know what I mean they they're not all like living in these like country club style homes the way that some of the more senior partners were living like truly like you know wealthy people and um, what I noticed was that they started creating fake partnerships like there were people you started seeing all around uh, the industry people who held themselves up as partners uh, of a law firm. But they weren't really in the sense that they weren't really making any more money. They didn't have any more shares. All that happened was that they got sort of like their contract with the with the law firm sort of renegotiated so that they were legally partners. They just didn't hold any shares that partnership shares that could participate in profit God, sharing that's such a or scam. anything like that. They may have like some – it is a scam. But, but legally they're partners, but they didn't have any – Profit sharing. So it's like all the, the liabilities and none of the upsides. And so, exactly, because people started because I knew people that like crossed that threshold into this what they called non-equity partner. And yeah, what um, the fuck is that? That's said, a term that's in know, tech the, circles too. The non-equity partner. I I can't. I mean, it's a way to make ele- it's 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 a it's a mm-hmm. it's a bullshit promotion. It's 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 like um, it's. It's just a way to, um, you know, continue this illusion of advancement, right? It's it, it just creating more micro steps so that the journey just gets longer, <laughs> and it, and you know, but you're not held back, you know, like it it gives you the illusion yeah. of progress, basically. But it's asymptotic. And, you're uh, never gonna get there. And. <laughs> You're never going to get there. And uh, yeah, and the non-equity partner, you know, part of it is, you know, this, it's like, a, it's like a merit badge. It's like, you can, you're now a partner. You're a serious person. You can hold yourself up as a partner and be proud of yourself. But it's bullshit because you, like the whole point of the partnership is that you share in uh, the profits, but you don't. And what I've heard was from people was that the part, the, the, you actually made less money the first few years as a non-equity partner. Because you got like mm-hmm. adverse because tax you're a partner, yeah, and your costs. Went and you're probably you probably you might upgrade your car, you and upgrade your so living you, a little, buy a better suit, and then all of a sudden you're you're uh, any yeah. any gain is lost, assuming you made any to begin with. Yeah, but they have this sort of like, yeah, but you know, I people know. still took pride in it. They still. So took I think pride that's a lot of the neuroticism that we just have to let go. Right? And this so, whole this whole status game that we're playing, yes. I think it causes a lot of mental anguish. And neuroticism, and the neuroticism comes because those avenues are closed. They're not, you're not going to get there. The non-equity partner thing was really, I was just like, yo, that's just straight up undignified. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, that's literally like, they're just, that's a lollipop. I've seen that in my circles. 
It's nothing I mean, they, they wear that badge with such pride. Uh, meanwhile, the real partners are laughing their asses off. And this and these people tend to be the uh, the front yes. the the meat shield in case shit goes down. Oh, my God.